0: Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. We're going through the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings, and uh, we're in chapter 5, and I want us to read together there. The membership class is today. If you want to join our church, you can do it through the class. Or if you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. And uh, even if you've not signed up, you're welcome to come. I teach that class today from 4 till 6, and you can come in on the 7 Hills side if you want to be a little closer. We'll have signs that'll help you find it. Well, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. And you may remember that in chapter 5, we're seeing sort of over the shoulder of John the Apostle. And we're seeing what heaven is like. And God wants us to know what heaven is like, not just so we, not just so we know about what it will be like one day, because, but also because God wants us to know about this day. And God wants you to see a little bit about the future so that you live in the present as he wants you to live. So that you don't waste the life that God gives to you now and let's read Revelation chapter five, beginning with verse 11. The Bible says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders, and their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth, On the sea and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Well, let's talk about worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. This chapter five reminds us that Jesus is both the lion, the great power of God, and the Lamb. In fact, not just the lamb, but the lamb who was slaughtered, the lamb who was slain. And we're reminded that though Jesus has all the power, all the authority of heaven, he, is willing, he willingly gave himself, sacrificed himself for us and for our sins. He became the Passover lamb on our behalf. And so I want you to note four things about that will happen once we understand, when we really see the worthiness of Christ. And I want to encourage you to write these four things down. All right? Are you ready? Let's write these four things down. Four things that happen when we see Christ's worthiness. Number one, we join in heaven's praise. When we see the worthiness of Christ, the natural response for us will be to join the praise of heaven. And heaven is a place of praise. Verse 11 talks about it. John says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. Many angels. And also of the living creatures and of the elders. That is, the living creatures, the cherubim, uh, we saw earlier in the chapter, and the elders, the people. And their number was countless thousands, John says, and as though that's not enough, countless thousands. And he said that that doesn't picture this well enough. Countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. So whatever countless thousands is, you can't count so many thousands. And thousands upon thousands beyond that. That's a lot. All the angels gathered, and of course ultimately all the people who have trusted Christ as Savior gathered before the Lord, and they're all praising Christ. They're all praising the Lord. And notice verse 12 says, they said with a loud voice, with a loud voice. Now, there are times when we hear a soft voice spoken to the Lord, but in this case, it's a loud voice. And it's not just the number of people, but the enthusiasm, the excitement, the joy of heaven. You might not have thought of heaven as a place of joy. Maybe you thought of it as sort of better than the alternative, but boring. And you've missed what heaven is about because the Bible says there's a sound of joy, uh, of, of um, volume and joy and excitement and enthusiasm. If you've ever been to a ball game and your team scored or your team won the game, you, sometimes you get, people get a little loud at those events and we don't think of that as boring. That's something, some exciting moment and heaven is filled with the excitement of eternity. And the Bible says, they said with a loud voice, and let's skip down to verse 13. The Bible says there, I heard every creature, every creature in heaven, all, all of heaven, on earth, that's not enough, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say. Well, that's, that's pretty much everything. Every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, under the earth, on the sea, everything in them. Well, it's saying here that all creation joins in worship. Do you remember the story of Jesus coming, what we sometimes call the triumphal entry of Jesus, just before he will end up going to the cross, and he comes in and people are crying out, Hosanna, praising the Lord. And the Pharisees say, hey, Jesus, stop those guys from, stop them from praising you. And he said, if they didn't, the rocks would cry out. Do you remember that story? The rocks would cry out. And what the Bible is saying here in eternity Creation itself is going to praise the Lord. It's, it's, creation's been under the curse of sin. Created, created. God made all of this world for His glory. All the beauty, all this, all the all the spectacular nature of creation, but it has groaned under the burden of sin since the fall of mankind. And it's as though, with the picture of heaven, is the releasing of that burden and the joy and the. Heaven itself, creation itself joins heaven in its praise. Something about that that is beautiful and powerful. So you've heard me say sometimes as we've gone through Revelation, talk about the church, because you remember the Lord talked to seven churches. I reminded you that we live in a generation that has so devalued the church. I'm just you you know it if you're around the even the Christian community much, the church is no big deal our current culture says, doesn't really matter. I can do everything that God wants me to do on my own. I don't need other people and I just will tell you that's uh, not true and it's not biblical and that God made the church for a reason. We're reminded that Jesus formed the church knowing it was gonna be filled with imperfect people like you and me and there's value to it and that you can't do everything that we're called to do alone. So when I was a boy, I grew up in church. My father was a bivocational pastor, a construction worker, and pastored small churches in small town, Illinois. And then we would sing praise to the Lord together. And um, we'd sing from the the old hymns, what we call now the old hymns, and the Jesus movement when it came, Uh, choruses started coming in. We'd sing those choruses to the Lord. Our little churches would sing kind of enthusiastically. My mom, was often the pianist. Um, She was very disappointed when um, I did not have the talent to be a pianist. Very disappointing to my mom, but that's the way it goes sometimes. I can't always live up to mom's expectations. And mom wasn't a concert pianist or anything, but she could play those songs, and we would sing and praise the Lord. My dad was not a very gifted singer. He couldn't carry a tune very well. I'm told it was really he just couldn't hear himself sing well. But for whatever reason, he just wasn't On tune always, but he was enthusiastic in his singing nonetheless. And so our little churches were just enthusiastic typically in their singing, and we would praise the Lord, and I was grateful for it. When I went off to college, I went to a Christian school, and we would have chapel together, and 2,000 students and the faculty, and we would sing together. And there was something about that that was just like really moving for me to hear this large group of peers singing praise to the Lord. And then along later in life came Promise Keepers. Some of you Maybe you're old enough to remember Promise Keepers and that big men's movement and men's groups would fill stadiums, football stadiums filled with men. And one of the many things I really enjoyed about Promise Keepers was that singing together with men. Some of you grew up where uh, your dad didn't sing or maybe you've been in a church where guys didn't sing. I know I, I that that's a common occurrence in church. Last week I even talked about guys singing enthusiastically, even if you're not super gifted in singing There's something about that. And when we would gather at Promise Keepers and tens of thousands of guys singing together, there was something great about it. And I'll just say, while I'm thinking about worship experiences, there's something special about worshiping at FBCO. And I love the opportunity to worship with you Sunday by Sunday. It is such a great thing for my heart and my soul. I love this. Don't take it for granted. What a privilege it is for us to sing together, to praise the Lord together. This is a privilege. Don't take it for granted. Don't miss the opportunity of gathering together. So here's what I want you to know. Some things we do individually. And worship, we can do individually. You can worship the Lord by yourself, in your prayer closet, in your home, in your car. And you ought to. But there are some things we need to do together. So here's how I wrote it. It's so profound, I just decided to write this down. I just want you to hear this. You can't worship with others on your own. That is, that is doggone profound, isn't it? <laughs> now, you can worship individually on your own. That's pretty profound, too. <laughs> you can worship on your own on your own, but you cannot worship with others on your own. And in heaven, it's not the picture of heaven is not just people gathered are just separated by themselves worshiping the Lord. There's something thrilling about worshiping the Lord. Privately, of course, do that. But there's something powerful about corporate worship. And heaven has the angels, thousands upon thousands, and the elders gathering to praise the Lord. And you can't do that on your own. And you weren't made to do that on your own. Now, are we made to worship individually? Yes! And in corporate worship, it's each of us individually worshiping the Lord, but there's a power to this connection together. One day we'll see that more fully in heaven when we're gathered with thousands, countless thousands, and plus thousands of thousands of all the angels and countless thousands of men and women and boys and girls from every nation, tribe, and tongue, every background imaginable who have bowed their knee before the Lord and received Him as Savior. Countless thousands, plus thousands upon thousands, who will gather together to worship the Lamb. And can I just remind you of something? Not even the angels can worship as we can. Not even the angels. Because they can, they can certainly praise the Lord for who He is. And they can talk about the power of the Lord and the greatness of the Lord. But when it comes to the song of redemption, that's ours. They can't sing about the forgiveness of sins like we can. They don't understand what it's like to be a new creation like we can understand. They haven't been made new by the Lord's blood. Jesus' blood was not shed for them. We sinful, fallen, broken people, that's our song. And so one of the things we do when we see the worthiness of Christ is we join in heaven's praise. I want to ask you to join in heaven's praise Sunday by Sunday. Even day by day on your own, gather together with other believers and worship the Lord. There's a second principle I want you to note. When we see Christ's worthiness, we recognize God's value. We recognize the value of God, or even specifically the value of the Lord Jesus himself, Christ's value. Let's go to verse 12. So they said with a loud voice, that is the angels, the the creatures, the elders. Here's what they're saying. Worthy is the lamb who is slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. They're saying we see both the worth of the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice. So we see that he is worthy and we see he was slaughtered. He is worthy, that is, he is perfect and holy. That's why he could pay for sin. He was slaughtered. He went to the cross to pay the penalty. We see his worth and his sacrifice. So let me talk to you for a moment about warfare. Now, I have never been in the military, but I've lived near an Air Force base for many, many years. So I think I've, you know, that counts for something, right? I've got a pretty good idea on the military by just osmosis of being near these military folks around the, around the years. So let me just tell you some thoughts on the military life. You were waiting for my thoughts on military life, weren't you? Oh, my goodness. it gets so per- The profundity of the first point, and then to bring military expertise to you, this is such a great moment for you. So I've noticed that the generals... We've had plenty of generals in our church over the years. That the generals aren't usually on the front lines. Have you noticed that? And the reason behind that is, I think it's sound thinking. They say about the generals, or the uh, kind of high-ranking officers in general, they say, now they have some knowledge, and therefore some value, and we need to protect them because they know the battle plans, they might know the strategy, they they know some things that, that we're going to need. And so we're not going to put them in harm's way, we're gonna keep them farther back. And you can understand that strategy because they have great worth. So you wanna be careful with those uh, men and women. Well, in World War II, an amazing thing happened. So some of you are just too young to maybe have, know much about D-Day. And I want, you, I want you to know D-Day at least. D-Day was an important day in the history of our world. And it's June the 6th, 1944. So we're in World War II. Just full on, and D-Day is the day when the Allied uh, uh, Allied forces begin to take Europe. So they land on the beaches of Normandy and they begin that process of taking Europe. It's a it's a big deal. The landings were dangerous and difficult. And on that first day, there several days of landings, the first day, the first wave, a general landed on Utah Beach on the beaches of Normandy. A general, and his name, which is. This guy had just lobbied to do that. He said, I need to be there. He said, I'll help, I'll help organize the troops and I'll be, it'll be a good motivation for them. And here's the unusual thing. Not only was he a general, a brigadier general, but he was also, the, his name was Theodore Roosevelt III. He went by junior. The Theodore Roosevelt family had some unusual things in their how they did juniors. But he was, he called himself junior. They called him junior, but he was the third. Theodore Roosevelt III. The son the of President Theodore Roosevelt who's on Mount Rushmore. Well, his face is, maybe he's not literally, but you know, the, they carved his face there. Can you imagine that? Then Theodore Roosevelt II, or senior, as he was sometimes called, the president had passed away before this, but can you imagine the son of a president, a general on the beaches of Normandy that first day, and he, he said, my value will be so much more there, I'll organize the troops well, I'll rally them. Um, it, it turned out to be the case. This is what the Lord did for us. The one who was most valuable gave us the greatest sacrifice. The one of greatest value provided the greatest sacrifice. The one most worthy, the holy one, the only one undeserving of the sacrifice is the one who sacrificed for us. And when we see the value of the Lord that this lamb that was slain was holy and worth, man, there is a power to that. Notice the Bible says seven things here in verse 12, seven things that he is worthy to receive. I just wanna mention each of these. These are things that we give to the Lord that we've been given. He is worthy to receive these seven things. Let's just note each of these. Number one is power. Any power we have, by the way, in our hands, a little limited power that we have, we give to Him to glorify Him, our strength, our power, ability. Number two is riches. Our riches. He is worthy to receive our riches. By the way, I tithe to our church budget. I have all the, almost 28 years I've been here and will, Lord willing, till the, the, all my life I've tithed. And I do that, first of all, because I want to obey the Lord. The Lord is the one who calls us to give to His work through the local church. I believe that to be the avenue of tithing. And, But I also give because the Lord has given to me. Everything I hold in my hands that I call mine, it came because God allowed me to have it. And so it's all His ultimately. He is my Lord. And so I give because of that. The Lord doesn't need our power. He's got power. He doesn't need our riches. But He receives them because of who He is. We give to Him what we've been given. Number three is wisdom. Wisdom is where we see the world as God sees it. God wants you to have a Christian worldview. Many Christians, many who name the name of Christ, see the world more through the eyes of the culture than they do through the eyes of Christ. Many. I wonder about you. I wonder if you've been more affected by the culture than you, than you have by Christ. If you're, if you're not more in danger of being influenced by what the world says about good and bad and right and wrong and how you should see things, than how scripture teaches it. And wisdom is where we begin to see things as God sees it. If we get his perspective and we use this as a means of glorifying the Lord, we give him number four, strength. The Bible reminds us that when we think we're strong, that's when we're weak. But when we recognize our weakness, God gives us his strength. Every, any ounce of strength we have, talent, ability, we give to the Lord as a means of glorifying his name. Number five is honor. We honor he is worthy to receive our honor. We honor him. I watched a little of the NFL draft of the last few days. I only did it because I was afraid Vicki might want to know something about one of those draft picks. And I wanted to be up to date on those guys. And so I followed along some. And she'll be if she asks a question, I'll be ready to answer it now. But I noticed a lot of those draft picks would honor their parents or their coaches. And rightly so. Because their parents sacrificed for them. Their coaches provided them instruction, and so they would honor them. And that's a good thing. The Lord has given us so many things. We honor Him with the talents or abilities that He gives to us. It's a means by which we give glory to Him. Number six is glory. The Lord reminds us that uh, He is a God of glory, and He, He gives to us. He puts into our lives something of His glory. When I talk a little bit later about our humility and how we bow before Him, we'll be reminded that we humble ourselves before the Lord, but he lifts us up, and the Lord allows us to experience something of his victory and glory and forgiveness and power. And then number seven is blessing. God has blessed us, and I'll get this, he's blessed us not just so we have blessings, but he's blessed us so that we bless. And one of the reasons God has blessed us is so we will bless others and bless the Lord himself. Everything he gives to us, what we call blessings, are, it's a means by which we praise the Lord, we Bless others, and we praise the Lord through our blessing of Him. And so the Bible is teaching us this principle that we give what we've been given. And we recognize something in Scripture of the great value of the Lord. And maybe you've, thought, maybe you've not thought of the Lord as that valuable. I mean, fine, but not valuable. Good, but not great. But when you see the worthiness of the Lamb, when you see His power and His riches and His wisdom and His strength, His honor, His glory and His blessing, When you see the great worth and the sacrifice, then that changes how you view the world. And I want you to see the great value of the Lord. The things of this world, when you see God's value, are so, so much less. And you see something of the greater value of God and his kingdom. There's a third principle I want you to note. When we see Christ's worthiness, number three, we understand God's nature. We understand God's nature. Let's go to verse 13. The Bible says, I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, everything in them say, here's what they said Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Speaking here about the Father and the Son together, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Let's note five things about the nature of God. Number one, He is mighty. We've almost lost sight of that as a culture, even a Christian culture, the mightiness of God. God Almighty. He is God Almighty. So whatever problem you've got, God is big enough to handle it. He is God Almighty. We've sort of thought of God as you know, nice and good, but we've lost sight of the power of God. And it's lessened our faith in Him and our dependence upon Him and our trust in Him. But God is mighty. God is holy, number two. He is holy. The Bible reminds us that He is worthy. He is the only holy one. That we are not holy. That we are sinners and broken and fallen. Our world is broken and fallen, and we need the Lord. And God is holy. Our generation has emphasized the love of God, and God is a God of love, but God is a holy God. And we don't want to forget the holiness of the Lord, the sinless nature of our Lord. That He is worthy. That Christ died not because of His sins, but because of my sins. Christ paid the penalty for my sins because he was worthy and because he is holy. We can have the holiness of the Lord given to us in salvation. We can be forgiven fully. Number three, he is Lord. Notice the Father is seated on a throne. We'll see one day more fully the greatness of the Lord that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and we ought to bow our knee before him because he is seated on that throne. He is giving, the Bible says. He's described here as the Lamb. God is by nature a giving God. One of the reasons we give is because God is a giving God. He gave to us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God's a giving God. He thought of us before we thought of him. He gave to us, though we didn't think to give to him. God cared about We had nothing to give God. God cared about us when we didn't care about him. God is a giving God by his nature. And then number number five, he is eternal. The Bible says he exists forever and ever, and we can look back in the eternity past and say, we had a beginning, but God has always been, and we can look into eternity future, and God will always be, and by the way, God made you for eternity, did you know that? For eternity, so that this world is not the end, and the book of Revelation is telling us there's going to be a, a day when we will either exist foreverly, forever separated from God in hell, or forever we will live with the Lord in heaven, and the Lord tells us in this book, about that reality and about how we can experience God's forgiveness and God's grace. God wants us to understand something of who He is and His nature. Sometimes people will say, man, it takes a lot of faith for you Christians to believe God made this world. And yeah, it does. It takes faith to believe that this, everything we see came from someone. and It takes faith to believe that God cares about his creation. That takes faith to believe that God would care about us, though we're broken and sinful enough to send his son into this world. Takes faith to believe that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead for us. Yeah, sure. Faith is a vital matter. But can I tell you the dominant cultural view of our time takes faith as well? The view that says everything came from nothing. That takes faith. The view that says all of life came from the inanimate, that takes faith. The view that says all of the complexity of life just happened over time, though we see the irreducible complexity of something like the human eye. That, listen, that takes faith. That we believe by faith that there is a God who cares about us, and a God who loves us a God who's big enough to do something about our problems, a God who's powerful, a God who's bigger than this world, a God who has always been and who will always be, a God who can forgive us of our sins and give us a home in heaven, a God who's been preparing a place for us so that we can join him one day, those who know him in salvation, a God who's made promises about the future. By faith we can accept this God uh, who loves and cares, this God who is, who is mighty and holy and Lord and giving and eternal. There's a fourth principle I want you to note as we think about what we see when we see Christ's worthiness. Number four, we acknowledge our need. When we see the worthiness of Christ, we acknowledge our need. And I want you to go with me to verse 14. The Bible says, The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, when I talk about need, it sounds sort of funny to you, maybe, because you say, I don't, I don't need anything. I'm fine. I mean, you know, in American culture now, we say we're we're kind of independent. We don't need anything. We're all right. Maybe you've said that about God. I don't need God. I'm fine. Can run my own life, make my own decisions, do my own thing. And you sort of sound like uh, parents and children. Maybe you've some of you maybe have know something about parenting, and you know what an expert in parenting is. An expert in parenting is someone who's never had children. That's what an expert parent is, someone who's never had children. And if you've never had children, you know, you just, you know how that should be. And I just want to tell you, some of you are uh, young here, and maybe someday you'll think about a child or something, and you, maybe you'll say, well, I'll, my, I'll do better than my parents did. And listen, we hope you do. I mean, we, seeing how you turned out, we hope you do better for your children than you did. But we also know that your kids, and I'm not surprised that your kids are imperfect or your grandchildren would be imperfect, but I was really surprised to find out my children were imperfect and my grandchildren imperfect. And so if you think your children will be perfect someday, um, just have some. <laughs> and one day that perfect little child will grow up, maybe, maybe at two you'll give them a little nickname and call it the terrible twos. It's a common nickname, the terrible twos. When a little child is, raises his little fist or her little fist at you and says, no, when you say, do something, or when you try to suggest something, they say, I'm not going to do it. And maybe they'll say as a preschooler, maybe they'll say something like, I don't need you. I don't need you. Lots of children have said something like that. I don't need my parents. But when they say that, they don't really understand the role of their parents, nor do they understand the reality of themselves. They don't realize that their parents are working hard Trying to save up money and buying food at a grocery store, that that food doesn't just magically appear on the child's plate, but that they have sacrificed to provide, that they've tried to give them a home and try to give them clothing, try to provide for them. They've not seen the role of the parent. And they've not seen the reality of themselves that they are not nearly as strong as they think they are, that they're not nearly as capable as they think they are, that they have great needs. And so the Lord says here in verse 14, I want you to go back to the text. The four living creatures said, Amen. Amen means so be it, or it's a word of agreement, or uh, affirming. And they're talking about the worthiness of the Lamb in verse 12, who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Or verse 13 that says, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures, these angels who have been around the presence of God for all of this time, recognize this and they say about this truth, amen. Yes, God is worthy. He is, he is mighty and he is holy and he is wise and he is strong. So blessing and honor and glory and power be to him, the one seated on the throne, to the Lamb forever and ever. They're recognizing something of who God is. And then notice verse 14 says, and the elders, that's the people, they fell down and they worshiped. They didn't just say, listen, I don't don't need you, God, I'm fine. They didn't say that. Not when they saw who God was. Not when they saw the worthiness of the Lamb. They fell down in humility, in recognition of need, and they worshiped, and they worshiped. So here's the lesson I want you to get. Seeing God as he is allows us to see ourselves as we are. Seeing God as he is allows us to see ourselves as we are. And the closer we get to the truth about who God is, the closer we get to the truth about who we are. And we are the fallen, we are the broken, we are the needy, we are the unworthy, but He is the worthy, the holy, the giving, the powerful, the almighty. And Some of you have whispered, you don't say this out loud, not in polite company, I don't need God. And maybe you're here and you've said, maybe you're lost and you've said, I'm okay. I'm better than some, I go to church sometimes. Maybe God brought you to this place this day so that you would hear this truth, that you need Christ, and that you're lost without him, and that only Christ can save you, only he can forgive your sins. And so this day I wanna ask you to repent of your sins and place your trust in Christ who lived for you and who died for you and who rose from the grave for you. Receive him as savior. And Christian, You wouldn't say out loud, I don't need God, I don't suppose. But in the whisper of your mind and your heart, you might say, I'm okay. God, I'll call you if I need you. I'm okay. But I want you to see a picture of who God is. I want you just to glimpse into heaven and see who he is. And if you will, you'll see how much you need him. That you need to bow your knee before him and worship him. That you need to humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up. The one who saves and forgives and adopts, the one who gives victory and strength and power. Bow your knee before him this day. The reason he shows us eternity is because he cares about today. I want you to see a picture of who God is and what you'll understand fully in heaven so that you live this day. Well, let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word, the the promise of heaven, for showing us a little of the future. And Lord, we see that you are worthy. You're the powerful lion of Judah, but you're also the lamb slaughtered on our behalf. And you are worthy. And So this day, Lord, we wanna acknowledge who you are. We wanna recognize you're worthy of our praise. And this day we wanna join the cry of heaven, of praise to you. Father, for those here who need you as Savior, would you draw them to yourself? I'm praying, Lord, you'll help them to be convicted of sin so that they will turn to you to find forgiveness, your righteousness and holiness given to them. And Father, I'm praying for believers who have perhaps given little thought to eternity. Would you this day remind us of eternity so that we live on this earth effectively, so that in, in this lifetime, in this day, in this moment, we give praise and glory to you and we live a life for something beyond ourself and beyond what the world chases, but for something bigger and greater. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.